Today's scripture reading is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Kind of a lot here. You guys notice I'm wearing my, um, if you're those of you who've never seen this shirt, I'm wearing the, the Jesus-centered family shirt. That's what pe- we want people to see when we go out to Bishop. Um, we want people to see not just um, a bunch of strange Asian Americans who may have come from San Jose um, wandering around their reservation. We want them to see a family who's been built up in Christ. And that's it's actually very appropriate for our, our message today because today I'm, I want to talk about love in the community and in our relationship It is an extraordinary thing that Paul says here in this passage. Um, I don't know if if you could feel this as as we look at this. Paul says things like this, I yearn for you. I yearn for you with the affection of Christ. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. This passage, Paul is spilling out his heart for this church whom he dearly, deeply loves. I mean, you can tell that there are people that he knows, people that he badly wants to see. And for those of you who who may not have been here last week, he's writing this in a prison. This is written from prison. He's thinking about a people that he knows, he longs for, he misses. And what he's saying is, I yearn for you with an affection of Jesus. And it's right for me that I, and how I feel this, and this is the way he's seeing them. This is the way he feels, and, and it's coming out on these words. Now, in one sense, it's one man at one time, at one particular place, through a, a time of hardship. That's what's being recorded in these words. But this, these are no ordinary words. This is the Word of God. And so when this is written in the Scriptures, when it says, it is right for me to feel this way, it is right how I feel, Do you understand that it isn't just Paul talking about how he feels? God is teaching us how to feel. You ever think that? Do many of you think that, oh, I just feel the way I feel? And and however you feel, when you feel happy, you feel justified to feel happy. When you feel angry, you feel justified to feel angry. When you feel sad, you're like, well, of course I should feel sad. I just feel sad. (laughs) It's as if your feelings have a life of their own. (laughs) And however you feel is just how you feel, and that's just the way it is. But actually, there are right ways to feel, and there's wrong ways to feel. And of course, I think most of you all know this. Um, If you go completely berserk, 
and get enraged and get violent, or if you get drunk, or you start swearing at people, or you cut people off, or you give people the finger, everybody knows that that feeling, you may have felt some twinge of anger or some, or at some point, and you may have felt justified in having that spark of anger, but all that stuff that begins to spill out, are you, is it right for you and I to, when we go off like this? So here, even the Bible teaches us not even just how to think, not just what to believe, not what just is right and wrong, but the Bible teaches the whole way of being human. The Bible even teaches us how and what is the right way to even begin to react and feel toward people. And today I want to talk about something very difficult and important, and that is that I feel that when I look at our society and the way our culture is moving, and I've seen so many people, and I've been a pastor for quite some time, and again and again, and I'm not even talking about people outside of the church. I'm talking about people inside the church. People who go to church regularly and who say, I believe in Jesus. I go to church. I'm a, I'm a solid Christian. Again and again, I see people who, have, who, who wrestle with what I consider a kind of cynicism about people. When they look at other people, they see them largely as glass half empty. I want to ask you this question. When you look at other people, do you see them as glass half full? Or do you tend to see them as glass half empty? And if you look at people generally as like what's wrong with them and what's lacking with them, and when you, your, your, your natural inclination is to see what you dislike about them. Are you like that? Or is your more normal habit is when you look at someone, you're saying, oh, that, that is such a, that they're, 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 so, they're so smart, or they're so funny, or they're so generous, or they're so kind, or they're so humble. Do you see their good qualities? I'm, I'm so, that person's such a great singer. That person is so talented that, that they can introduce this into our company or into the, our community, and you appreciate them for that, no matter whatever some of their flaws or some of their foibles or some of their weaknesses are. Is that the way you tend to react? Or do you tend to generally look at people and relationships and the potentials of relationships largely with a black or a darker spirit you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're always waiting for something wrong to happen. You're always waiting for the other person's dark side and that, that BS you don't like to emerge. And since, hence, you hold people like this or like this. There's a certain guardedness as you look at everybody and as you encounter people, class half empty. That's what I want to talk about today. Are you cynical? So... Part one of my message, I'm going to tell this in three parts, as I almost always do. Part one, relational pessimism and the sin, and it is a sin to be cynical. If you are on the pessimistic side and you are allowing your heart to become more and more toward the cynical side as you lurk toward other people, let me tell you, it's not a good place. It's not a good direction. Cynicism is sinful. Part two, I want to talk about hope. Hoping for authentic, relational, and communal love. Because that's what's in this passage. In this passage, Paul has tremendous hope for the church. He has, tremendous, he has this 
deep well of love and affection for the people of the church. And it spills out, and as we go more and more deeply into this book of Philippians, you'll see this church brims and overflows with this partnership of the gospel, which has deep and affectionate love toward each other. But a hope. And much of life, come on, I'm not, I'm not unrealistic. People have stuff that's wrong with them. All of us. There's something wrong with us. And, it doesn't, and it's not just nice talk. There's something seriously, seriously wrong with us. So if we're going to get to a place where there's deep love in the community and deep relationships of love for one another, there needs to be not just the sense that, like, well, I hope it's all there, and then when it's all there, then I go join it. But actually, we need to move our relationships and our communities with hope. And part three, I'm going to talk about where this hope comes from, and that is an affection, which Paul, uh, which Paul says is not my affection. He calls it the affection of Christ. I want to talk about the affection of Christ. Okay? Um, part one. I, I opened up saying that I, I feel that more and more people are very cynical and relationally pessimistic. And by the way, I mean, you can see this in... Um, you can see this in the, the wider culture. You can see it in our humor. Um, and do any of you listen to stand-up comedians? Whenever there's a, a really great stand-up comedian, I, you know, like, sometimes I'll get the HBO for like a weekend on my Dish Network or Showtime or something like this, and there'll be a stand-up com- um, comedian that I, I don't, I've never heard of, and I'm saying, if they have a Showtime or an HBO one hour, one hour and a half hour special, they, that's like they've hit the top. You understand? This, these people are at the top of the funny people's pe- profession. And so yeah, I usually record that, and then, I, and, and then I watch it, and to see what they got. What kind of, and I don't know if you understand this. Um, stand-up comedians are among, they're kind of an alternate form of preaching in our culture. I don't know if you know that, right? Because they make commentary about life and about people about everything. They, they'll talk about God. They'll talk about politics. They will talk about race. I mean, you could, you, they'll talk about, they will insult people. <laughs> they'll say things about other people's ethnicities that you can't normally say. <laughs> but they'll say it, and everybody will laugh, and they'll be kind of embarrassed. They'll think, of course, they, things about, uh, they say things about sex. It's some of the most raw, honest commentary that you will get. And let me tell you something. A lot of it is dark. A lot of it is mocking. A lot of it is an expectation that essentially there's just BS upon BS upon BS, layers upon layers upon layers, and this is life. And in order to deal and bear with this life, what we have to do is mock it and make fun of it and make fun of ourselves. Some of the best comedians know how to make fun of themselves and, and, and reveal their layers and layers of BS. But you can see it in the outside world. Maybe some of you, you could see it in, in your, in your, in, at work, whether you work for the government or you work in a corporate setting or you work in a small business. Again, how do people show up? Do they open their hearts up? Will they be soft toward each other? All human beings have a soft underbelly. There's a place. And so... We're even afraid to do this at work. At work, you're supposed to be a professional. 
just have your stuff together. You know, that's not the word they use. They use a different S word, right? Have your stuff together and just do your job, and, which is another way of saying don't be fully human. If you're hurting, don't bring that to work. And it's even worse because we even do this in church. Um, one of the reasons why this series is called the koinonia of grace is because koinonia is typically translated fellowship. But fellowship, now when people go to church, there's the worship room or the sanctuary, and then there's the fellowship hall over there. And the fellowship hall is the place where we drink coffee, eat donuts, and have really casual conversations guarded. <laughs> we have guarded conversations with a cup of coffee in our hand, and we will not allow the full humanity of our weakness, of our joys. Uh, let me say this. How, can you say, any of you say this, the kind of things that Paul says to the people of this church? Have any of you ever said anything like this honestly, openly, unashamedly said this to somebody else at church? You are one of the most wonderful people to me, and when you're not here, I, I long for you. Have you ever said that? I have a deep affection for you. I really love you. Have you ever said that and meant it, showed it? And actually, if anybody ever behaves that way in church, it's weird. <laughs> it's kind of like, mm, it's like, oh, people get kind of uncomfortable because we come in with this normal facade, I'm okay, you're okay. I, I can't really be soft toward you. If, if, I, if I let my softness come out toward you, then what's happening is, there's a vulnerability there, and, and what if you don't receive it? What if somebody sees it, and they make fun of it? So then, even as we come into church, we are pessimistic that if I actually love somebody, and I'll let my heart become soft, and that softness actually come out, what if that softness is not met, or mocked, or poked? That will hurt. Doesn't, isn't this terrible? This is the church. The church is supposed to have the, of the love of God, and that means people are supposed to have love for each other, but even the love that we have for each other is, is, is poisoned, corrupted, with this layer of pessimism. And some of us it's not even just pessimistic. It, we, we, we're afraid to be soft. So what do we do? We, we, we actually put on a layer of hardness. We put on a layer of hardness. Why? Because I have to have some armor. If I don't have armor, then people can actually get to my softness. We're afraid to be vulnerable. And so when you put on that hardness... Then you, you practice the hardness. We practice the hardness. And what's happening actually is, then you know, now you're taking steps towards cynicism. You're looking at people with the darkness. Cynical. Can any of you relate to what I'm talking about? Um, let me tell you something about pastors. <laughs> um, 
this is a, it's a weird thing about being a pastor. All of you get to feel like you get to choose your friends. You walk into the room. I don't like any of these people. I like only him and her and her. And those are the people you like to go hang out with, and those are your friends, okay? That's what everybody feels that they get to do. I, when I'm with this person, I feel, oh, I feel good. <laughs> these people, whatever, okay? And then you choose these people as your friends. The pastor can't do that. <laughs> the pastor can't do that. The pastor looks at everybody and has to try to love everybody. You, you, anybody want this job? That's one of the reasons why most of you probably would never want to be a pastor. Because you would now give up the luxury of just getting to feel good about only the people you like. But the pastor can't choose. Everybody that comes in, I get to sort of choose because I can't, you know, obviously give all my energy to everybody. It's just, you know, physically impossible. But I really actually have to try to find something good in all of you. (laughs) I'm serious. In all of you. And I have to come at you with optimism. What if you came to me, I'm your pastor, and immediately I'm look at you, and you can tell I'm looking at you, you're like, you're so full of BS. I can see it. You're lying. You're lying. You're, you're, you're a faker. You're a total faker. You're not nice. When you, when you tell me you care about God, no, you don't. You know. <laughs> By the way, um, I've been a pastor a long time. I'm getting pretty good at knowing when you're a faker. When I was a very young pastor, I wasn't that good at it. I'm getting pretty good at it, so don't fake. (laughs) It's really annoying. (laughs) But I'll still try to be kind to you. But here's the the part of the story that I'm getting to. When pastors get together with each other, you know what we do? We tell war stories. (laughs) Because in the church, you show people kindness and encouragement. And you know what you get for it? You ever heard this phrase? It's one of my favorites. No good deed goes unpunished. That's the pastor's life. No good deed goes unpunished. I'm talking about from the people who say they love you. (laughs) And I'm not trying to say this because I'm trying to get you to feel sorry for me or something like that. I'm saying I know what it's like to want to put on the armor. Okay? I know the temptation of cynicism. I know what it's like to give you my softness and then some of you stick a knife into it. I'm not saying you per se, but people I've pastored. At every stop I've pastored, this has al- it always happens. It always happens. Right? You give people the softness, they stick a knife into it. Sometimes they don't, they're not trying to, but they do. So I know this temptation just because I'm a pastor, I'm not Mr. Holy. I'm just always looking at people with, with optimism. No. Why do we do this? Because we're afraid. We're afraid to be vulnerable. You've got to self-protect. It's like we're a boxer. That's his arm is up like this. It's like protecting. And then, like, you're trying to punch me? All right, as soon as your guard is down, Bam! <laughs> It's like, oh, it's actually kind of how we deal with life. <laughs> Bam! Okay. <laughs> That's what we do. It's actually kind of how we're dealing with life. 
but it's a bad path. Listen, one of the wise men of the 20th century, godly man C.S. Lewis, this is the way he put it. There is no safe investment. To love at all, to love at all, is to be vulnerable. That soft underbelly where somebody could stick you, that has to come out. It has to come out if you want to love anyone or anything. Love anything. And your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Not even an animal. Not your dog, not your cat, or pet hamster. There are lots of unloving people. I think it's good when they get a dog. (laughs) I actually do. (laughs) They get a dog, and then they actually have to now let the soft come out. Wrap up your heart carefully, round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock your heart up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. That's what he calls it. It's the coffin of your selfishness. This is what cynicism is. It's a coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least the risk of tragedy, the tragedy of me getting hurt, is damnation. Did you hear that? You want nobody to ever hurt you. Well, then you're placing yourself on a path to damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love, because love is dangerous, is hell. Let me go to part two. Hope. Uh, How can we get past this? When you wake up each morning, and when you walk into a room, you know what you have to arm yourself with? Not self-protection. Not, let me make my heart harder so that it can't be hurt. Actually, the thing that we must arm ourselves with, which is far more powerful than self-protection, it's far more powerful than cynicism. What we must arm ourselves with is hope. And what is the hope? The hope is that when you look at somebody, when you look at them, they can become more than they are. Not even a little bit more than they are, far more than they are. That whatever it is that makes them dark, that where they give themselves lies or where they lie to you, where they want to hurt you or they want to rebel against you, where they're going to speak behind your back, Whatever it is that does this, their anger and their sadness and, their, and all the ways that people are, that people can, there can be more 
more. You know, this, when Jesus looked at us, imagine if he looked at us like this. When he looked at us, you know what the cross is? I will give you every soft weakness. God gave us his soft, weak underbelly. You understand? That's what he did. Jesus Christ on the cross is God's vulnerability. And the reason he put his vulnerability for us is because when he looked at each one of us, he says, when I see you, I see what you could be. I see you as glass half full. And actually, it's pretty crazy that Jesus looked at his glass half full because I think most of us, we're saying our glass is even half full. It's, if we would want a glass that's full and actually overflowing with whatever beautiful drink we would want, actually, most of us, if we can say our glass is like it's about, oh, it's about, it's not even halfway filled. It's kind of like down there. It's down there. It's closer to empty, isn't it? There are days you, you feel you have kindness and love and generosity and patience and mercy and self-control, but actually, those are the days at your best, maybe you're close to half. But if you're like me, there are many days I'm closer toward the empty side. I'm closer toward the, the quarter, quarter full, the really 10% full, the couple drops toward the bottom. Otherwise, that's all the love there is, one or two little drops toward the bottom. And you know what Jesus sees us? He says, if you could see the way I would make you, the way you could be in me, you could overflow. Overflow. When he sees us, that's what he sees. You understand? He doesn't see you and just go, oh, porn addict. Filthy, disgusting. Oh, anger. You're the anger guy. Anger, resentment. Oh, you, envious, covetousness. You just you resent that person because they're prettier than you. Oh, you resent that guy because he's smarter than you. Oh, you resent that guy because he's more successful than you. You wish you were as successful for him, so you want to pull him down a peg so you can feel good about yourself. That's not what he sees. He sees all those things, but you know what then he does? He says, but my blood is stronger. My grace is more. The life that flows out of me can defeat all of that, and there could be more. Oh, let me go back to the same wise man. This is Lewis again. When you look at other people, how do you see them? When you look into a room full of people, how do you see them? We've started this thing in our church called Gospel Life Families. I hope many of you will participate in our small groups. And you'll show up with Gospel Life. And you look at the other people in the room, and you're looking not only glass half full, but what they could be. But listen, this is the way Lewis puts it. There is a load or a weight or burden of my neighbor's glory. See, because that's what it is. A person can become glorious, beautiful, transforming. 
And there's a, a, a weight of glory on that person. And all of us, as we're bumping into each other, we are bumping into the possibility of that other person's glory. And here's what he says. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back. It is a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. Think about that. Maybe next time you meet somebody and you are like them is because you just can't bear whatever possible glory can come out of them and you're too proud to take on whatever their stuff is. Maybe. It breaks your back, so you're like, forget it. It's not enough humility. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And you know what he's saying? To remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which if you could see him now, what he's going to become. What a person could become if they, when they're redeemed, fully redeemed and made resurrected, they'll look like a god. That's what he's saying. They'll look like a god or a goddess if you could see them. You would be so strongly tempted to worship that person if you could see what they're going to become when their cup overflows. Or, in the future, they could also become a horror, a corruption, such as now you meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. You know what the horror is? It's the person that just makes themselves hard and harder and harder when their heart can never be redeemed, they're becoming a horror. And if you could see what they'll be when they're in hell, it would give you nightmares. That's the possibility of everybody. Everybody in this room, everybody that you meet. That's the possible engagement that's happening. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to this that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all of our friendship, all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat, of a flea. Isn't that incredible? The whole art industry, it's like a flea. The Roman Empire, it was a gnat compared to one who could live forever. Just one individual person. It is with immortals that we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Ultimately immortal horrors or immortal everlasting splendors. 
That's what's going on. When you look at people, do you look at them with hope? And let me say, Pastor, I can't look at people with hope. I've been hurt so many times. I feel you. I sympathize. Oh, yeah, I've been there. How can I look at people with hope? People are so full of it. You know, theologians are very realistic people. What you and I call BS in other people, they actually have a, a really nice term for this. They have a a very precise term for this. It's called depravity. (laughs) Depravity means everybody's depraved. You guys, you know this word? Depraved means everything inside of us, even the good parts, have some rotten crapola inside of it. (laughs) That's what depraved means. But if you will look at people just in who they are, Of course you're going to get to the depravity, the BS. But can you see them through the eyes of Jesus? Can you see them with what could happen if Jesus enters into their life? What could happen to them if the blood of Jesus washes over them? What could happen to them if the life of Jesus goes into them through the Holy Spirit? What can happen if, if I just encourage them just a little bit and something a little bit, even just a little bit of the life of Jesus comes out of me and touches them? Maybe, maybe, hope, God will do something. Because if, if it's my little meager love and my li- little meager piece of hope, then, then how, how's it going to help? Let me go to the final portion of my message. Paul says here, I've been chewing on this verse for two weeks now. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. That's what he says, verse 7. And he goes on to say, for God is my witness. See, he's not lying. God is my witness. How I yearn for you, I yearn for you with all with the affection of Christ Jesus. See? Where is the affection coming from? Paul's affection is not just my affection. With I yearn for you with my affection, with my love, with my righteousness. I think Paul, would, if he sat in this room today, he would, he would go, uh-huh. Yeah, those Jews, they threw rocks at me. (laughs) Those Romans, they tossed me into prison and whipped me. So you guys think you got it tough. Those people say lies about me. Oh, that guy who I I, I discipled, right at the most crucial moment, he backstabbed me and ran away and denied me. (laughs) And yet he could say, so I know what it's like to have just a couple drops in that cup. But what he does is, I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus. This word, um, I I was looking at this, affection of Jesus, affection of Jesus. The word in Greek there is a weird word. The word is splanknon. Splanknon. 
I yearn for you with the splunknon of Jesus. Doesn't sound so very nice, does it? You know what splunknon means? The splunknon means the intestines, the guts, the deepest guts. I yearn for you with the guts of Jesus. That's what he's saying. That's actually literally what he's saying. I yearn for you with the guts of Jesus. In the, in the Greek language, the word for heart is cardia. He, he could have said, I yearn for you with the heart of Jesus. That's not what he said. I yearn for you with the splunkna, with the, with the intestines, with the lower guts of Jesus. That's what he's saying. And the reason he uses that word is because in the ancient Greco-Roman world, they believed that the deepest, most powerful affection and emotions came from the splunkna, came from our intestines, <laughs> came from like, like our stomach, it came from like down here. <laughs> what is the, the splunkna of Jesus? Jesus went on the cross. He was nailed. And then a Roman soldier came up and cut him right here, right into his splunk, right into his guts. And blood and water flowed out. His splunk spilled out. His affection spilled out. You know, we, literally, Jesus was on a cross and his guts spilled out for us because he had hope for us. And when Paul is saying, I yearn for you with the affection, he's saying all of Jesus' guts, his totality of his most powerful love and affection for us spilled out. That's what I want coming out of me for you. That's what I want to come out of me for you. The power of the cross, the very affection, the guts of the cross is spilling out of me for you. And today I want to ask you, take down some of your armor. Lower your guard. Go to a small group. Go to Gospel Life family. Stop looking at people. Oh, uh, I, don't, I don't get anybody older than me. Oh, I don't get anybody younger than me. Oh, that guy's, a, oh, that guy's an engineer. Oh, engineers are boring. Uh, whatever. Huh? Oh, uh, she's so emotive. Oh, she just emotes and talks too much. Oh, gosh. <laughs> huh? Instead, let the guard down. And say, Jesus, let your gut spill out onto me. Let me see hope in this person. And the affection, let an affection come in me and well in me that I never had before. You and yourself, just like me and myself, if it's me, my affection that I need, no way. <laughs> I could never do this job. Really, I could never do this. I would never have lasted this long. If I had to love you in myself with my cup, but you in Christ, you in Christ, you with the, the guts of Christ. If you have the affection of Christ, not only can you do it, you will be amazed whom you could love.
you'll be amazed at your courage. You'll be amazed at the people you can affect and change. If the inner guts of Jesus spills out of you with affection unto them. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you look us only as we are and then don't run away. You look at us as we are and then you see our potential. You see what we could become. You see the glory that you could cause to flow out of us when you spilled your guts for our sake. And so now, Lord, May we not only be partakers of this grace and receive your guts, your affection, may we be givers of your affection, partners of your gospel. And may we proclaim your gospel by giving one another and our friends and our neighbors and coworkers our softness, not our hardness. And in our softness, people will begin to perceive even when they wound us, even when they reject us, they would see us, in us, the vulnerability of God himself, the affections and the guts of Jesus. May you be glorified. May you be seen. May you be revealed. May you be magnified. May your light shine in us. May your vulnerability shine in us when we are vulnerable. May your softness shine in us when we are soft. May your hope shine in us when we hope in you for other people. And people will then begin to see God is in that person. God is in these people. God is in this church. God is in this gospel life family. It would be the most wonderful, beautiful community People would walk into this place and say, the love in here is so thick. My goodness, what is this? This place is so, the people here are so real, are so authentic. You are so safe to hurt here. You are so safe to, to, to process your disappointment here. The love here is so powerful. The affection here is so palpable. It can whittle down and dissipate any anger any disappointment, God must be here in this church, just like in the Philippian church. And I pray for you and for me and for all of us as we go to the guts of Jesus on the cross that he would do this. Lord Jesus, do this. We can't do this unless you do this. You do this to us. Do this in us. Do this with us. We'll never be this kind of people. But thank you, Lord, that you can do this, and you will. Because we ask for this. Through the splunk knot, <laughs> through the blood, through the guts, for all the merit and all the worth and all, all the confidence that we can have, because we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.